I'll leave a uh, chicken carcass for you to use in your rituals. And That's right. Uh, just don't evolve me. Yeah, do the blood sacrifice out back. Right? Yeah. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Hey, have you heard about Code School? Code School is a terrific way to learn by doing. You actually get to work through exercises on their website and learn how to build code. They have courses on Ruby, Python, .NET, iOS, Git, databases, and of course, Angular. And you can try before you buy, so they have free intro courses to things like Git, Angular, and iOS. So go check them out at codeschool.com and start learning by doing. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel we have Joe Eames. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and it looks like everybody else is traveling this week, so... It's just the two of us, Joe. Just the two of us. I feel like Lucas when I'm singing. Lucas is the one I who know. sings. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you sing. I'm, I'm like invoking the spirit of, of Luke. I'm channeling Lucas. There we go. But, but thankfully, everybody gets the important people. That's right. You know, hopefully that'll let, make it so that people, if there's just the two of us, maybe more people will recognize me. I ever tell you about the time I had a conversation with a guy for like five minutes about JavaScript Jabber. Yeah. And it took five minutes before he re- realized I was on the show. Yeah, you told me about that. I was just like, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, we need more episodes where it's just you and me so that yeah. my sonorous tones can fill the airwaves and everybody can. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because um, I, I have people that listen to multiple of the shows that I'm on. And so... Um, I, I'll go to conferences and I'll be standing in line for lunch behind people and that they'll stop and they'll turn around like, it's him. I, I heard that voice. But yeah, they don't recognize me on site. They just, yeah. <laughs> hmm. So what are we going to talk about today? I am the voice in your head. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, well, basically it was an idea that, um, that I had discussed a little bit with a few other people. Uh, and that is that uh, whether or not you should go with front-end and back-end teams or basically dividing up by technology, or if you should uh, work in cross-functional teams where essentially you have a team that's in charge of a certain set of functionality or a team that works across the entire application regardless of what layer it's on. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, have you worked on... Which, which kinds of teams have you worked on? Have you worked on both or primarily one or the other or... So we, we talked about this a little bit before, right? That I did server-side before I came to client-side, but when I was said server-side, like for about 1999 until 2010, I was a full-stack developer. It was about 2010 that I switched and went entirely to as client-side developer. So at that point, until that point, I'd only been doing full-stack. And I mean, at that, I think this was probably fairly true with a few rare cases, that if you're doing web development, you only had full stack. De- There's no specialists, no front end right. only developers, right? Yeah. Everybody was doing both sides. And you certainly would have the situation, and 
where one guy would specialize more on the team or a couple guys on the team might be more specialized. I certainly saw that a lot with CSS, right? You'd have the guys that actually knew CSS and everybody's going to them, fix this, fix that, right? And I don't know, something genetic that allowed those people to understand the myriad crap in CSS. But um, (laughs) then everybody else tended to be full stack. You might have the one or two smart guys that knew JavaScript a little bit better than anybody else. But certainly at the start of that time period, you know, in 2000, there wasn't much JavaScript to be done. It was, you do a little validation here and there. So when you say full stack, you really weren't doing much in the way of client side coding. But over the next, you know, 10 years, you'd get more and more client-side coding, but you'd still never, not never, but rarely saw a shop where there was so much client-side coding, so much JavaScript coding to be done that people began specializing in. Even when Knockout came out, which is what, in 08 or 07 or 06, Mm -hmm. where you actually had something on the client-side beyond just jQuery. jQuery was 05, I think. Um, but actually did some bindings so you could consider this to be sort of like a data visualization, um, fully client-side piece, right? Even at that point, you still didn't do so much on the client-side. People just, it just wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. So definitely I've had a lot of experience with the full stack. And then once I switched and went to client-side, I did only client-side. So at that point, of course, I just worked on places where the they, only, they had a client-side team or at least a set of client-side developers, and then they had back-end, back-end developers. So definitely had a fair amount of experience with both. Right. It's kind of funny that you're, you're talking about this because, yeah, my experience is mostly the same. I got into Ruby on Rails. I, I did some like PHP stuff and some jQuery stuff when I was in college just because a friend of mine was doing it, and it looked cool because I could build websites with a database on the back-end. Um, right. But... Yeah, I didn't get serious about programming until after I graduated and, uh, you know, I was working in Ruby on Rails. And even then, you know, Rails had a couple of nice hooks into jQuery. And then if you had to manipulate the DOM, you did some jQuery stuff. Um, My first framework, if you can call it, that was Backbone. And again, it was just part of the deal with uh, working in in Rails and having a semi-complicated front end. And then, um, but even then, it was just a nice way to organize the code. I didn't use it for much more than that. And then um, the last full-time job I had, which was about six years ago, was uh, we actually had parts of the front end were jQuery and parts of the front end were Flash. And Mm -hmm. um, so we had, basically, there were six of us on the team and three of us worked in Rails and three of us worked in Flex. And hmm. I was one of the Rails guys. So I was a back-end guy. And right. And once I went freelance, I went back to the full-stack realm and kind of did that. And uh, there were definitely trade-offs between the two as far as I could see. And uh, uh-huh. so, yeah. So I thought, oh, well, this would be really interesting because I get people asking occasionally. You know, it's like, well, you do Rails and you do Angular. So what's the deal, right? Should we have <laughs> separate teams? Or, you know, because we've had pain with separating them, but we've also had pain with not separating them. So, Right. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that we could look at some lessons from other languages now that you'd, you mentioned Flex and see what other language that they've done in other cases and, you know, potentially use that as a cue. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, with Flex, right, I think it was very common 
that you had just some Flex developers and then you'd have some backend developers, right? Right, because it was its own ecosystem. Yeah, its own ecosystem, its own language. It was very different. I think one of the reasons why we see a lot more of the full-stack developers is probably twofold. One, if you've got a small company with just a couple of guys, obviously it just doesn't make sense, right? You can't take, if you've got three people and you're going to make, well, let's make this one guy the front-end guy, the other two guys the back-end guys, you just, uh, it probably is too inefficient, right? Yeah, it's kind of silly to do it that way. So obviously I think the first um, guideline that should come out of this is under a certain size, it probably doesn't make sense. Now this could you know, vary based on skill set. If you hire a front-end only guy, and your back end is in, say, um, you know, Java, and he's never done any Java, Then you and you got a Java guy who's a Java expert but doesn't necessarily want to do much JavaScript, or whether he does or he doesn't, it might make sense just have the Java guy do all the Java and the front-end guy do only work on the front-end. But if you have a lot more Java work than you have front-end work, then even in that case, people are going to have to do other things. So for the small team size, it's, I think it's a hard sell, right? Um, but again, looking at Flex as an example or other similar topics, right, like uh, uh, Silverlight is another uh, example of another f totally different front-end ecosystem, although you at least use the same tool. If you're doing Silverlight, you're probably doing .NET, in which case you, you're still using Visual Studio. Yeah. But um, in those cases, they, I think, especially with Flex, they, they saw it as being so different that the idea of it's the same developer is going to do both jobs just didn't necessarily seem natural. Whereas what happened with the world of the general web is we did everything on the server side. You know, both Rails and ASP.NET had this, hey, we're adding more and more features on the server side to let your client side be more responsive and have a better user experience, right? So if, with... Um, .NET, they called it partials, where you could say, hey, I only want to update this part of the page, and you'd make a request, and you wouldn't get a full page refresh anymore. you just have a part of the page's HTML get updated. And Rails has the same features. Yeah, Rails has TurboLinks, which does the same thing. Right. So the server side kept pushing more and more client-side functionality onto itself. Right. So your server side developers, which is all you had before, as they started, as the web demanded more and more interactivity, more usability, a better user experience, then the features were getting pushed into the server side frameworks. So you didn't say, oh, wow, in order to do this, we've got to have an entirely new skill set and a new ecosystem doing something. Instead, you could just say, well, the same guys that are already working on the server side and, you know, just writing each, just producing HTML, well, now they can make it produce actual functionality and deal with the functionality on the server side and the server side language, but it's showing up on the client side. And then at some point, that sort of ended, right? Where people, you know, I think this is when Ember, Angular, Ember and Angular started getting popular and Backbone. People are saying, hey, we can really do some stuff with just JavaScript. And instead of having the server side send these big HTML chunks down, let's allow somebody to write in JavaScript, and let's just send XML down, or, um, or JSON. JSON. Right. right. Ultimately, we became JSON, but let's just have an API that we call from the client side. And of course, all of this, I love to point this out to anybody that um, doesn't know this, but our entire modern web was enabled by Microsoft inventing XHR back in like, I don't know, 97 or 98 or something. Back when um, they were still the evil empire, right? 
Right, back when they were still the evil empire. Now they're not quite so much that. Uh, I think Apple's trying to take over that spot, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> oh, there's a can of worms to open. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go back and review some of my comments about DHH from a previous episode. No, um, yeah. So... Yeah, I you mean, just didn't. You had that natural progression, right? You didn't have to worry about. It's an entirely different set of skills. Yeah, well, and the thing that's funny is, yeah, I mean, the way that you're describing this is exactly how I kind of grew into this. So, you know, my first job um, as a Rails developer full time, we used jQuery and Scriptaculous, and Rails had basically wrappers around all that stuff to make it so that you could write it on the server side in the server side framework, and it would just plug all the JavaScript in the right places to manipulate the DOM the way you wanted. And yeah, and then as time went on, you know, more and more people were doing things where, um, you know, we had like Sprout Core and, uh, you know, some of these that were going all the way to build basically what looks like a desktop application in the browser. And it'll manage yep. all of the stuff. And then, you know, Sprout Core and Ember kind of I, I hear some people say they merged, and I hear other people say that uh, Sprout Core 2 just sort of became Ember. But whatever the case, right, uh, we started, yeah, we started getting these frameworks that gave us all of these capabilities, and it started making less sense to have your back-end framework have so much control and say in your front-end framework if you could just pass the data up and it could do it all on its own. Right, right. So uh, I, I'm wondering, though, because uh, right in the middle of this um, movement was when I was working on one of those teams that was not cross-functional, and we had that Flash front end and the Rails back end. And, uh, you know, I, we, we did try integrating, by the way, and uh, there were definitely some uh, growing pains with that. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, as... Now that we're kind of in this modern era, um, I think you've worked on a front-end team more recently than I've worked on an exclusively front-end or back-end team. Did you feel like that made more sense? Because back when we were doing it, uh, the, that boundary, right, between the front-end and the back-end, mm -hmm. okay, here's the API, okay, here's, what, here's how Flex or Flash expects to talk to the server. Oh, crap, there's something that's not quite right here. I mean, that happened a lot. Or, you know, we're, we're trying to move ahead with this feature. Why isn't it done? Oh, well, the back end's been done for two weeks, and the front end, they've been working on some other thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we definitely had those pains, and so they wanted to be able to solve some of that by having uh, everybody able to work on any section of the code so that we could, you know, if there was a problem with the back end talking to the front end, well... Chuck knows Flex and Ruby, and so Chuck can do both ends of the thing. Right. So, so in your experience, was was it at Domo that you were mostly spent most? Yeah, that, time that was my. I mean, I had a job right before that where I was kind of the front end guy, but uh, it wasn't. They didn't. I, if they had separate teams, then I was the only person on the front end team. So it was Domo that was my first job, where it was like a very specific. They had a back end team, they had a front end team, mm -hmm. right? Did you run into those and, issues, and how did you guys solve it then? You know, I don't recall running into those issues as far as, like, any kind of dissonance between the two teams. Um, I remember sometimes feeling like, 
I, and I have this, these memories of, oh, we need to get this uh, API changed or something, right? And it, be, it was sometimes a hassle, like it could be a lot of almost hoops to jump through, almost bureaucracy, right? But there were some reasons for that. The application was so dang big right. that if an API endpoint was changed, you know, it might be called by multiple places. So you always had to be careful about stuff like that. So, you know, then you got the, well, do we just create one more um, new API front end, front end uh, or endpoint? Sorry, not front end, endpoint, one more. That's a slight variation of this exist, other existing one, right? That could be problematic too. So there's a lot of, definitely a lot of challenges in those two things, right? Right. Um, but I don't recall the dissonance ever being extreme, right? There was definitely some times when we wanted something. We did have some front end guys that at least could at least go in and like write a new endpoint. It was all in Java, and I'd done .NET, which is very similar to Java, but I'd never bother getting my machine set up to even do Java, and I didn't really want to either at the time. I wanted to just do front end. So we had a couple of guys who could just at least add a new endpoint. So they could go in and just say, hey, let's, I, I know how to gather the right data and add a new endpoint that produces the right thing. And so we would do a little bit of that, but when it came to the real business logic on the back end, you know, we weren't allowed to touch it. It had to be the back end team that, that dealt with that. And uh, yeah, things just worked out. I think, again, a lot of it was the fact that it's such a large company size. We had almost 20 people on the front end and probably 15 people on the back end. So it wasn't like anything moved super quick anyway. Yeah, I mean, when when I was working on that team, there were, like I said, there were six of us, and then our our uh, manager, and so you know, if we really needed something, then we could go to the you know the front end team. But generally, it was them coming to us and saying, "I'm trying to build this feature in, and I need this endpoint." And then you know, there were other areas of the application that were essentially a sort of vanilla Rails app with jQuery and stuff on the front end so we did most of that but yeah it was it was just kind of this interesting split oh well they told us they needed this and then you know they still haven't finished their end of things right and it can be hard because you can give them what you need and they go and make it and then you realize either you had something wrong or they uh -huh. got something wrong or there was some problem in the communication of it. And whatever the point is, you get the wrong thing out. And now it's like, well, I need an adjustment. Can you get that adjustment done quick? Right? Or are you completely blocked in your development for a day or two until someone can get around to making that change again to the next, to update it to exactly what you need out of that API endpoint? Right? Yeah, yeah exactly. But and uh, yeah. dealing with that could be hard. It could be a huge hassle. Yep. And again, that, I think that comes down once again to the teams, how you orient them. So one of the things that we did and found to work very well was, uh, you know, you'd have two or three front end guys working on a specific feature and there'd be one specific back end guy assigned to them, yeah. right, into that same feature. And that guy, you, you, the front end guys, they might be working on multiple features at the same time and the back end guy might be working on multiple features at the same time, but at least you knew where you to go. So... It was like, okay, we need, we need this endpoint. You go to that guy, he'd get it done. Oh, it's, something's wrong. You go back to that same guy and he'd make the change. And and then the developers themselves could sort of negotiate the priorities and be like, hey, I know that this that you're moved on to doing something else. You're in the middle of something else right now, but I need, I'm blocked and I need this change. And I'm pretty sure it's small. And then that guy, that backend guy can make the determination of, can I be interrupted? 
and switch tasks. Is it really small enough to do? Um, you know, is it so important to unblock that person that it's okay for me to be interrupted? And the as long as the people work well together, then that flows really well. And we found that that flowed really well for us. Yeah, I uh, I can definitely see that. And I think what it really boils down to is what is the cost of that communication? You know, what what is the cost when it breaks down? Yeah. What does it cost when it's actually working well? Um, and we're using all of our systems to make sure that it's happening as we need it to. Um, and then from there, you can move along and actually figure out, okay, it costs us this much and that's okay because training's more expensive or it costs us this much and that's unacceptable because we can't move fast enough to keep ahead of our competition or we can't move fast enough to make the CEO happier or however you mm -hmm. work in that. Right. So I'm wondering, you know, d did you measure that kind of thing or was it just kind of a gut feel? Nope. Oh, people get frustrated. So let's talk about it. Yeah, we had no measurements. I mean, we weren't so big that we would start doing bureaucratic measurements of stuff like that. Um, so we just go by what was the problem. We talk, you know, we were constantly having planning meetings where we talk about, all right, this hasn't gone very well. Every time I go over to get this thing done, that person's too busy on the back end to get done what I need to get done, or he's never there, right? But certainly we've, we discovered a few things. Physical proximity matters, but you don't want them too close, right? Because right. the back-end guy needs to be part of the back-end team. So he sat with the back-end guys. And the front-end guy sat with the front-end guys. But as long as it was a very short walk, right? Like, I don't know, we were 50 feet away from each other probably. Then things, it, it might as, he might as well have been sitting next to us. But if you talk about different floors, different buildings, all of a sudden that could get very problematic. Um yeah, that and, you know, virtual teams sometimes actually feel closer than a guy down a floor, right? Because if he's down a floor, you might not spend enough time and energy putting together all the tools that make the whole virtual team thing work well. Mm -hmm. And because he's just down a floor, so you can walk there. But by the time you start doing that, then, you know, it's just too much time and it's too much hassle and it's too much effort and you don't want to walk down there to get something done and you do and he's not to lunch or he's out at a meeting and then you're really frustrated got to take the long walk back so physical proximity definitely matters in that kind of a scenario yeah and in my experience with the uh, split team we were all in the same room mm -hmm. so that that really wasn't a problem and the communication worked out pretty well as well um, what it usually came down to was just how much of the work had to be done on the front end in Flex versus the back end in Ruby and whether or not there were enough developers one way or the other to get it done. At, at Domo, did they, did they, did your, did you have the same backlog they did? Like when you were doing planning, was it all together or was it, okay, we're going to work on this on the front end and you can work on whatever else you need on the back end? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. Like our meetings were all completely separate from theirs. We would have a representative show up to our planning meetings, right? Because we'd be assigning out tasks that required a back-end guy. Mm -hmm. And we need to know, can the back-end guy get these done in a reasonable amount of time? Can he get to them in time? You know, we needed to know all those things. So we'd have a representative come Right. And so Sorry, I'm yawning here, but um, I definitely, I'm pretty sure we had different uh, backlogs. 
the, they had sets of tasks that had to do with purely the back end that didn't involve us at all. Right. And we, we wouldn't have known about it at all. And, and vice versa, we had plenty of tasks that were only about the front end, didn't involve any services, any APIs. And so we do those without those guys ever being involved, you know, yeah, that's or knowing about it. Because, um, so the company I was working for that I keep talking about is, was Public Engines. Um, they had a product, CrimeReports.com. Um, they're based mm-hmm. in Draper, Utah. And uh, they, since we were all in the same room and effectively all on the same team managed by the same manager, um, all of our meetings were held together and we shared a backlog. And so in that, in that okay. case, even though we had sort of separate responsibilities, we did actually um, share a backlog and planning meetings and all that stuff. And so we were working a little bit more in lockstep with each other for a lot of this stuff. And, you know, the communication and the tooling and the, the repository and everything else were all shared. And that's just mm-hmm. the way that we kind of rolled. Right. And so it's it's interesting to hear you talk about it, you know, where it was completely, you know, the two teams were basically completely isolated from each other. Well, not completely, but, you know, to the point where you were working on different things than them, where, right. you know, with us, it was very focused around a feature. And then, you know, my task and somebody else's task would mesh. What is your gut feel? Which one was your preference? I would have to say that uh, I personally prefer working on teams where everybody is full stack. And the reason for that is that uh, for the most part, then everybody is, uh, you know, A, on the same page. Like there's no person that has a concern that the rest of the team doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that's nice about that is then... Um, those barriers between the front end and the back end as far as does this service expose the right endpoint for the right thing so that the front end can do its thing so blah 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 um, mm-hmm. you know instead it, it would it would be it's always been nice for me when I'm building something with a front end framework and rails on the back end to just be able to just seamlessly build both parts and know that they're going to talk nicely to each other because I'm managing both sides of the conversation um the other thing is, is that Rails really wasn't set up well to talk to flat, uh, Flex, Flash. And so we uh-huh. pulled in a gem that mostly worked and we would, we would, we were fiddling with it all the time to get it to do what we needed it to do. And that's probably <laughs> colored my judgment some. Uh, that should have been the name of the gem, mostly works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it. So, so I think that's part of my experience. I've been on a few other teams where it seemed like they had uh, a couple of people that were mostly specialized on the front end, even if they were full stack people. And mm-hmm. even then, I mean, they'd go do some arcane crap that nobody understood. And then somebody else would have to manage it because enough of those folks were on vacation and it just turned into a disaster. And so if you have the expertise spread evenly across your team, then that works a lot better in my opinion though i will say that most of these teams had 20 or fewer programmers working Mm -hmm. on the entire application and so i think if you get to a certain size maybe it does make sense to you know split it up all right let's take a break and earn a little money for the show by talking about hire.com 
Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. They put you in control, fill out an application, and then top employers apply to hire you. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will also have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. And Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And they help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. So if you're open to relocation, you can let them know and they'll work that in too. Finally, if you use our link, you can earn double the normal hiring bonus. The normal hiring bonus is a thousand bucks and they give you 2000 instead. So go check them out at hire.com slash adventures in Angular. You know, in this day and age, we are starting to see more people that come out and their skill sets are front end only. Yes. And in that case, you want to hire somebody. Well, they're only a front end guy. Are you going to make them start doing back-end work or you're going to say, well, we're all full stack developers, except you only do front-end work. Yeah. I mean, if I were hiring now, I would probably still, I mean, I wouldn't rule somebody out because they're not full stack, but at the same time, you know, I would expect them to learn enough to be dangerous on the back-end. <laughs> be dangerous. I think uh, knowing nothing makes them the most dangerous, right? Yeah. No, probably not. Knowing a little is probably more dangerous. I think the danger is mostly in the attitude. I I think I know what I'm doing, and so I'm just going to blaze ahead instead of actually asking for help or pairing or something with somebody. Right, right. I don't know what um, what, what would you where would you go with it? Well, you know that's a hard question to answer because my first thought was well, like at least at the moment in my career, I'd rather do the front end work. Right? There's lots of cool stuff happening there. The back end uh, at the moment is kind of boring me. Uh-huh. So, so you would um, want the I'd job this, where they said yeah. you do express or something. Right. Or maybe I would be okay with it so long as I, it was just a minimal amount of my job, right? Right. And that, I think we do live in a funny time. I mean, it's a good time, certainly, where you can kind of pick and choose as a programmer and do what you want to do. Within reason, of course. Uh, so at least I, one of my personal preference is giving me some bias as to what I feel like is the best. If I was to start up a dev company and be building a web product and uh, deciding, all right, am I going to have five back end, five front end, or am I just going to have 10 full stack? I think I'd probably err on the side of the 10 full stack. Like you said, you know, if they're more efficient because... They, any guy can do any task, then that's probably better overall. Yeah, but, I, I will play devil's advocate, though, with that, and that is that it does pay to have experts. Yeah, but, you know, like I, I was talking about before, you usually tend, even with you know that, a setup like that, you'll tend to have the one or two guys that are the real experts. And even if that means that you got, say, eight generalists and one true expert, front-end expert and one true back-end expert, right? And they're just going to that guy. The, the, obviously, the experts can't do all the work. They're only able to do a piece of it, but they can solve a lot of the hard problems a lot quicker than somebody else could. So maybe you know the more generalist doesn't doesn't know things quite as well and can't write as nifty 
or use, you know, maybe can't solve the problem as quick, but the specialists can often then quickly solve the problem. I, I certainly felt that way with CSS. Like one guy that really knew CSS out of a team of 15 was plenty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, come over here, do your dark arts, mm-hmm. problem solved. And yeah, you, you don't have to call on him for another few days. <laughs> right. I'll leave a uh, chicken carcass for you to use in your rituals. and. That's right. Uh, just don't evolve me. Yeah, do the blood sacrifice out back. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. Um, now... I, I would say, though, if I was talking about 40 devs, I think I'd almost for sure feel differently. But again, you know, it's not likely that with 40 devs, you got 40 people building the same product, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, definitely a, a team size where it just gets too unreasonable for on the same product. Even if it's really all pieces of the same product, you start dividing up people into, you know, you're doing, we're doing this piece and they're doing that piece. Even if it's like, all right, well, we're the admin piece and they're the product piece and they're the user piece. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, you might have teams of only 10 or 20 and then you're back to, well, it could totally work with a bunch of full stack developers. Yep. Now, I have one other uh, interesting thing with this, and I know that this is an Angular show, so, you know, it's much more appropriate to talk about, you know, back end and front end teams. But another client for a back end is a mobile app. And... Generally, yep. what I've seen with those is that they actually split them off into their own team, the mobile team. Yep, and it's flex all over again. It's a totally different yeah. ecosystem, different skill set. Right, different concerns, vastly different concerns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, even more so than I think from front end to back end. You know, even though the the concerns are different and the the resource constraints are different, um, it's yeah, it's just interesting. So. I mean, does it make sense there to have the specialists or not? And and I think I think this really just does come down in some ways to. Um, I think we think of the the front end as, in, in at least some ways, an extension of the back end. Now I've seen apps that really aren't, that you know it's the Angular app and the the Rails app or the Express app, and they're completely separate, and the one just knows how to talk to and authenticate against the other. But mm-hmm. with a mobile app, I mean, they're they're not even served from the same resource. The app's already on the on the phone or whatever, and it just talks to the back end. Right. And so, I don't know. I don't know if that's a big enough difference to make you think, oh yeah, I definitely have a separate mobile team. It's just different enough that just it's hard to make it work the other way. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree. I've seen development teams that they have the mobile team part of their web team, but effectively then what they're doing is they're doing something like Ionic Cordova or something mm-hmm. like that, where they're effectively web developers anyway. You know, right. oh, we have a desktop app, but it's Electron. So we're effectively writing a web app that runs in its own little container instead of a fully fledged browser with Chrome on it. And mm. so, you know... In those cases, I can see it kind of going the same way. Or, you know, React Native, where, you know, the the front-end team does React already. And so they just maintain the React Native app kind of in the same way that they manage their React app. But, yeah, mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're writing um, Java, Dalvik, whatever it is, on Android, and they're writing Objective-C or Swift on iOS, 
and they're writing .NET or something else for Windows Phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then, then I definitely see those teams as sort of uh, completely separated from each other and then just coming right. back when they need to know how to talk to something. And in a lot of cases, the front-end JavaScript's already solved that. The endpoint's right there, and here's how you authenticate it. Right, right. You know, as long as you can, if you can, it's especially nice when you can have the same endpoints, whether it's JavaScript or mobile. Yep. So I have a question for you then. Uh, what about the effects of the latest and greatest in the framework, uh, JavaScript framework scenario, Angular 2, React? Do those change the viability of separated front-end, back-end teams? Right versus full stack teams. What's your opinion? That's that's really interesting, and it's funny because uh, here we go. Here I get to offend people. Um, I've been playing a lot with React and React Native in particular lately, and mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that are fairly similar between React and the way it does things, and uh, Angular and the way that it does things as far as you know components and how you think about components and. Uh, stuff like that, um, you know. I think I think the similarities break down a little bit just in how you get data and talk to the back end. But even then, it's all based on the same stuff, even if it works a little bit differently. Um, mm -hmm. So that being said, in my it, you know, the, just from my experience with the two different frameworks, it can. And the reason that I feel like it can affect that is because you could conceivably have a front-end team that effectively builds the components, which are more or less custom tags that manipulate mm -hmm. the DOMs in specific ways. Uh, both React and Angular work in that way, um, generally. And so mm -hmm. you could have back-end teams that are writing some front-end uh, just because they know that the component's there and that it will behave and, and needs to be in a certain place in a certain way and takes its parameters or properties in a certain way. And so, right. um, you know, I could see the, I could see these tools being used to sort of meld and bridge that gap uh, where we couldn't really do that before. And in other ways, I could also see it where um, it's like, look, you know, get your hands out of my JavaScript you know, just provide me with API endpoints. Don't worry about HTML or layout or anything else. Um, and I'll handle all of that as part of the front end dev. But the HTML, in my opinion, is sort of a, it could go either way, depending on how you think about your app. And so I could see that as a, a place where both teams sort of cross over a bit in the way that they manage either static layouts or static layouts with specific components in it or full-on single-page applications. Do you think it changes the dynamic? Um, I kind of think it does. You know, um, I think that as we see more and more specialists and bigger and bigger frameworks, and I'm not saying that they're getting bigger as time goes by, but um, let me take, for example, Angular 2, which I definitely know better than React, but I think the things that we're going to talk about are going to be just as applicable to React as they are to Angular 2. Right. I can we just finished a training class over this last weekend. Two days, taught people Angular 2. Things are pretty straightforward. They learned a lot of Angular 2 in just a couple of days. But we could spend a week talking about and and this statement was said many times, 
the hard parts of Angular 2 are the parts that aren't Angular 2, right? Yes. So you're, you're a full-stack developer. You've been doing Angular 1. And what have you been doing your uh, app? You've been putting script tags in your HTML file. And maybe you bundle it up for production. Maybe you don't. You, hopefully you do. Uh, and when I say hopefully, I guess it depends on the application and the needs and performance needs and stuff. But you might bundle it up for, for performance, right? Yep. With Angular 2, it's not just Angular 2 anymore. Now it's TypeScript, ES6, ES6 modules, it's Webpack, it's the Angular CLI, which hopefully makes all these things easier, but that's still yet one more piece. It's ahead of time compilation, it's lazy loading, it's bundling, deploying to production is its own thing. Right? All of a sudden you've got so many more moving pieces that you really start needing some experts. So now, Maybe this ends up coming down to just like CSS. Well, this is a necessary piece, but for the all of the, uh, you know, the DevOps stuff, you just have one guy kind of set that up, and nobody else necessarily needs to understand it. Although hopefully there's a backup guy, <laughs> but somebody sets it up, and then it's kind of out of the way, and that's true to a point, right? Yeah. But certainly things like ES6 modules are pervasive in there. RxJS is pervasive in Angular 2. And React has its own set of similar concepts. They are There are some that are definitely, you figure them out once, then you can kind of leave them on the shelf unless you want to tune them. But other things that exist all the time, and, then, and they're difficult enough that full-stack developers are already having to spend time keeping up on the full-stack developments. And now he's got an entirely different kind of ecosystem. And I will say, when I went from being a back-end full-stack developer to a client-side developer, so many things were not only new, but just different, right? A lot of things were just different. So um, I would say that they, it can definitely affect that. Maybe not to the point of, well, it makes sense now to have a separate front-end and back-end team, but it might make more sense to say, well, now we have to have our CSS specialist. Now we have to have our general front-end specialist. But we also have to have our React specialist and our DevOps specialist, right? Mm -hmm. So pretty soon you got four specialists that are front-end specialists. And if you only got 10 guys on the team, well, you might as well just have five guys be front-end guys and five guys be back-end guys. Yep. Because you've already got five, four guys that you specified, hey, these guys are already specialists, so... Uh, we need them around as much as possible the front end, unless we got way less front end work than back end work. Having them do back end work might be a waste of resources, a misallocation, I should say. So I definitely think it has an effect. The more we see, the more complexity we see creeping into front end development. And there you go, rant over. <laughs> Can I, you know, invoke a little bit from a previous episode of the fact that the web web development of the web is a dumpster fire and. So we need more of these specialists. <laughs> <laughs> we had this conversation, right? We did. I, I'm curious, though, you know, with, with sort of what you've explained, where do you see web development going over the next several years then? Uh, that's interesting. I mean, everybody wants to think, oh, it's going to get simpler, right? And it's more straightforward. But I just don't see that trend. And I know that people are spending a lot of time and effort making things simpler and easier. And that's awesome. The CLIs that we're seeing out of... Ember, uh, Angular, and to a lesser extent, React are making it so that you don't have to know as much. Um, but I think that uh, even though we move, are constantly moving to a higher and higher level, you know, there's a lot less development done in C today than there was 20 years ago, and certainly in assembly, 
and we're moving to higher and higher levels where the same number of lines of code could do a lot more, uh, whether that's changes in language or changes in paradigm, right? So that's constantly advancing, but I don't think that we're getting overall any less simpler. You know, back 20, 30 years ago, you really needed to understand pointer allocations and memory. Um, and so then we now garbage collection has sort of become the de facto. So you don't have to know about that anymore, but now you have to know about webpack and bundling and the difference between HTTP and HTTP2 and, uh, you know, size minification and the fact that for 30 years ago, 640K mattered. Yep. And then 10 years ago, it didn't. And now we're back to where 640K matters again, not because it's a magical memory number anymore, but just that if you have a pack, if you're delivering 640K of JavaScript, even that is, uh, although it's you know not a terribly large package, five megs would be obviously huge, but even, even half a meg can be a bit too much to ship down in, in one delivery package. So, right, you know, all this new. Yeah, it's because our delivery pathways aren't always wide enough for a package like that. Right. So old school is new school again, and now the kilobytes are mattering again. <laughs> Isn't that always the way of things, though? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I heard somebody sure. explain that, you know, we, we went from uh, basically a mainframe with a console um, to having PCs so that everything's on a client. And then, um, you know, so there was a centralized system and then we uh, distributed the system and we ran everything on PCs. And then, you know, we went to the web and we went back to a web browser being the console to the web server. And mm -hmm. you know, now we're back out to having web development frameworks that do a lot of the work on the browser. And so, you know, we've moved the computation back to the, the console or the client and you know these things keep coming back and going around and it's it's really interesting to see just you know how much some things have changed and how much we have come back around to at least certain ideas and certain concerns that we had right. in the past it's all very interesting but the takeaway from anything is developers will always be needed and we live in a really great era where we can pick and choose a lot what we want to do and you could specialize or you could be a generalist and you still get paid well, whichever you do. Yep. But you should really specialize. I'm just... <laughs> Jack. I, I know. I'm being terrible. All right. Unless you have anything else to add, let's go ahead and do no. some picks. Let's wrap her up and do picks. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. So I went and saw a couple of movies this weekend. Doctor Strange, which was great. But I also went and saw Hacksaw Ridge which was amazing. True story, based on a true story about a World War II soldier who was a conscientious objector, refused to carry a gun into battle. He's a medic uh, in a frontline rifleman in infantry unit. And uh, he performed one of the most amazing, and I will definitely say miracles, that you could possibly imagine. And the movie was done really well. Mel Gibson directed it. Uh, I really liked the way that the movie was done. And... I really enjoyed seeing the story, so I highly recommend if you have time that you go and check it out. And for our second pick, I'm going to pick the soccer MLS playoffs. Major League Soccer in the U.S. is having its playoffs. They're, they just had uh, the finish of like the first knockout round. 
second knockout round comes in a week and a half or something like that from now, I think the 22nd of November. So I don't know if this will quite be published by then or if it'll be just after that, but it'll still be going on for a while. So check it out. Finals of Major League Soccer. Those are my picks. Who's still in it? Well, unfortunately, Utah's out. Eliminated by the team that I detest the most, L.A. But thankfully, Colorado eliminated L.A. in the first um, round, the semifinals round, uh, or quarterfinals round, I guess. So the teams that are in it now are Colorado. um, Oh, gosh. I'd have to look now. Colorado, I think Montreal, uh, Toronto is definitely in. And then Montreal. And then there's one more team, and it's either Seattle or Dallas. And I'm not sure who one of those two. So there you go. Those are the four teams that are left. Gotcha. I actually said there's five. I'm not sure which of the five is left, but there's actually four of those five are left. Makes sense. And if you're if you're wondering, we're recording on November 8th. The apocalypse, the apocalypse hasn't happened yet because I don't think all the not yet. So, yep, not till tonight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. Um, the first one is I kind of got it way into React Native. I was up till about midnight last night playing with React Native and working on an app. Um, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to pick that. Uh, we have a podcast on devchat.tv called React Native Radio. So if you're into that, go check out React Native Radio. Um, I also wound up using a framework called Ignite that sets everything up for you in your React Native app and uh, sets it up with nice styles and makes it easy for you to manage all of that stuff. Um, So I'm going to pick that. It's been put together by a company called Infinite Red. And then Mm -hmm. um, I'm also going to pick, because I was watching it as I was working, uh, Front End Master's latest course is on React Native and it's done by Scott Moss. So if you've heard Scott on this podcast and you want to uh, go learn React Native from a genius guy like him, then uh, go check him out at frontendmasters.com. Cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this sucker up. Uh, Hopefully everybody else will not be traveling next week because I am. And we'll catch (laughs) you all next week. Laters.